Let's, uh, let's say a prayer real quick and then uh, some announcements. Let us pray. We lift up our eyes to the hills. From where does our help come? Our help comes from you, Lord, who made heaven and earth. Do not let our feet be moved. Do not slumber or sleep. Be our keeper, our shade on our right hand, so that the sun shall not strike us by day nor the moon by night. Keep us from all evil. Keep our lives now and forevermore. In your most holy name we pray. Amen. And now, Carol with a PSA. Yes. That's right. A PCSA, Public Christmas Sharing Announcement. Uh, I have a very brief announcement. First of all, a um, huge, tremendous thank you to you and everybody else that's not here. I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday I talked to Pastor Bukes and I said, the snow was really nice. (laughs) We're really behind. We are very comfortable right now with the people that came out the end of the week. We had great workers. There's still a lot to do, but I want to thank everybody that came and helped and encouraged them to come back because there's still work to do. This is what's left of the special request list. As you remember, the original one was two pages long. The, the big thing that's left are diapers and wipes. Unfortunately, most people don't give the sizes that they want, and I know nothing about diapers because my experience with diapers was when mine were being changed. <laughs> yes? Is it better to get like a big box of them or to get multiple smaller packages so you can give them maybe to multiple families? Um, how about two medium size? <laughs> Unless you want to get a whole bunch of Costco sizes. Because these are special requests that will go to the individual families. We wrap all of our special requests so that when they're leaving, somebody said, well, I didn't get that. I want one of those. Well, they got something else, too. But you know how all of us look and say, I'd like that. So... um, If you want to still go out, we need these by Thursday night. Thursday night, the this coming next week. Yeah, today's Friday. Yeah, we need we need them by yesterday. (laughs) But yes, (laughs) and this will be posted again, no, on on Sunday. But just wanted to share this with you. I had it up there. I could. But no, I won't because that will distract you from Bible study. So that's it. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Mark chapter 15 is what's on the docket for today. But let's first, um, so we're we're winding things down here. I I talked to Pastor Nelson this morning. We have uh, three more times we're going to meet 
this year, and we'll be done with Mark by the end of that. I was trying to just, I was struggling to break up Mark chapter 15 into two parts because it's really helpful to have the whole story of the crucifixion and not to stop right before Jesus dies. And um, so I, I suggested maybe we, we'll see how far we get today. Maybe we don't make it to Jesus dying today. Um, or maybe there's more to talk about next week. Then we'll do Mark chapter 16, which is actually pretty short, but it's really, really important. If we have another week, what we might do, and you can tell me how you feel about this, what we might do, if we're, if we're done with the text, if we're, we have no other things we want to talk about in the text, what we might do is the last week, just listen to the whole thing from beginning to end. If you'd be interested in that, I don't want you to, um, I don't want to do that if you're not interested in it, but just think, consider it. Um, we'll talk about that again. Um, but before we do anything else, what kind of questions do you have? How do you feel about Mark right now? I like it. Good. I'm glad. Oh, you and Pastor Nancy presented to us. Well, I'm, it's really been a blast. And so I, this is, we were talking, we were trying to decide whether you're sick of it yet or not. Because um, we're not. No. Um, but uh, good, okay, so then we'll dwell on it a little bit here. Um, Mark chapter 15, here's what we're going to do first then, unless you have another question. Did you have another question, anybody? Let's just listen to chapter 15. I'm not going to, sp- thank you, Mary, sorry, false, false starts. Um, I'm not going to stop it. We're just going to listen to the whole of fa- chapter 15 Um, although we may not talk about all of it. So tell me what you think. What are your reactions? What? Just get a haircut. Um, no. (laughs) You did not. (laughs) Sadness. Sadness. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, Donna, go ahead. I I noticed when he started, he said was angry. He was angry. Right. I mean, yeah. One of the things that Mark brings out so clearly is the injustice of Jesus' death. He has no they have no claim to make against him. There are no accusations that can hold. And in fact, this is one of the things that I find so striking about verses six through fifteen. Um, I'm trying to think about how to describe this. You know how, so if you're, if you're watching a movie or you're reading a story and the story is tumbling along, you know where it's going. You might even know the ending of the story. But then there's this moment in a story where um, it's set up so that you can see there would have been a way out. This, did, this might not have gone this way. And even though you know how the story is going to end, that, that moment of this hope is, is, makes it even, it just elevates the tragedy of it. And that's what goes on here in, in verses 6 through 15. So Pilate, why does Pilate ask them whom they want him to release? It's because he knows that the chief priests and the scribes are jealous. They're jealous of the people's attention, right? So he thinks to himself, maybe the people will choose the one whom they've been attending to. And why do the crowds not choose him? Because the priests stir them up. So it's this moment, and you saw it. I love the way he did it. He's like, he pauses for a moment. Alec McCowan pauses and says, and Pilate, you know, knowing that they were, they had delivered him over on account of envy, said, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And it's this, it could have been, you know, this could, everything could have been different, right? Um, and, and but then the story just sort of tumbles on further forward. Um, and that is it, what it, it doesn't just sort of elevate the um, the um, 
inevitability of the story, but the injustice, as you said, Donna. It's um, Jesus dies. They've got no charges against him. And also notice um, what he's like when he's dying. What would you do if you were accused of something you hadn't done? What would you do? Yeah, right? I mean, that, that's an instinct. What did you say? What did you say? Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, that, is an inst- that is probably one of the hardest instincts to shake. This is one of the reasons why apologizing is really, really hard, because when a, a true apology has no qualifications, right? You can't say, I'm sorry, but, or I'm sorry, and this is an explanation for why I did it, right? Because what you're doing then is you're justifying yourself, and one of the reasons why you're so sensitive to that is because in every accusation that's made against you, there probably are things that are untrue, right? There are things that, um, so, so somebody says, you did this thing, and there's some of it that was wrong and some of it that wasn't wrong, and you focus on the stuff that wasn't wrong, the stuff you did right, and you say, I don't deserve this, and so you, I mean, you just engage right away. You can't help it. You can't, you can't help it. And that's the thing about Jesus that is, it's, it's, it almost passes without notice how startlingly quiet he is, right? Uh, take a look at that painting, the second painting you've got. Now, this is, this is, the title of the painting is, What is Truth? So this is from John, the Gospel of John, but it still gives you this great picture of Jesus' humility and how miserable he was suffering silently, right? So here's this, here's this an opportunity. Here's a guy who's ready to reason. He knows that the charges leveled against Jesus are false. And Jesus can appeal to that sense of reason, his own understanding of justice, and Jesus m- makes no such appeal. He doesn't defend himself. So this is Pilate? That's Pilate, yep. He said to the... He said, what evil has he done? That's right, exactly. He knew that he That's right. And then there's, so there's this mini tragedy within the greater tragedy, the tragedy of Pilate, who finally, verse 15, so Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowds, which when you're a ruler, to wish to satisfy the crowds at the cost of truth or justice, that's, that's the cardinal sin, Right? This is your one job. (laughs) It's to defend the innocent and prosecute the guilty. And he uh, he is interested in satisfying their desires, their base desires. Um, Yeah, Krista. Uh, I just was wondering, there were no crew who defend Jesus. Yeah, right. I read one time, it was so early that uh, his his, uh, disciple or people who were really, really defending Jesus, uh, they were not up. Well, and they also had run away, right? So, you know, they all abandoned him. The, the, I will strike the shepherd and the, the sheep will be scattered. They all abandoned him. Um, so, and that, there, again, is another great tragedy, right? So, among the ways that we, um, among the sins that we commit, some of the greatest ones are sins of omission, right? Not telling the truth, not standing up for justice when, we should. Now, the, this is the remarkable thing about the story, of course, is that all of this had to be. It, all of it had to be in order for us to be saved. Um, 
But that does it, that means that as we consider the tragedy of it, um, it should tell us a couple of things. One of them is how great our need was, how desperate our need was that such a tragedy had to happen in order to save us. Do you notice anything else about this painting that you find interesting? What this this the the painter? I maybe I've, I've told you this before. Um, this is a, a Russian pa painter, Nikolai Gay. And he he's not he wasn't a great guy. He wasn't a great theologian. In fact, he loved a bit too much the writings of Leo Tolstoy. Leo Tolstoy, who said that he never be, never really believed the resurrection happened. He thought that Jesus was um, res that Jesus died, but his his spirit was carried on in his followers. Right. So, um, but but. So, he, you know, it's, he's not a great theologian, but he gets this one, this thing right, um, that he was actually uh, per persecuted for. This was a banned painting in Russia because Jesus looks too human. His humanity is too, um, is too stark. And, of course, you can't have a, hu a too human Jesus because he is fully human. Um, but he was accused of, being, of having painted an atheistic Christ, a, God, a Christ who is not God. Of course, when you see Jesus, what do you see? You don't see God. You're only going to see a man. Um, and moreover, a miserable man. Yeah? Um, and so that's such a fascinating thing to me that although he could, he, this guy could get so many things wrong, in fact, when he's painting his biblical scenes, the two other paintings that I gave you are also from this painter. He's not painting on, a, on the basis of the, a biblical account, but on the basis of some other account that somebody had written, the life of Jesus that he had, he had sort of picked and chosen what he wanted from the Gospels. Um, none, it, what, nonetheless, I mean, it's a fascinating thing how the truth can sort of shine through, right, in spite of, in spite of his efforts to sort of uh, not tell the truth. The painting on the previous page, this is Jesus. Oh, go ahead, Aaron. Were you raising your hand? Oh, no. Okay. Uh, I, I think the thing that struck me the most was the, the contrast of the light and the Yeah. Mm -hmm. sees people all the time doing stupid things, being all out of sorts about stuff and lying and not telling and, and I'm going to sort this out. This is no problem, right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. I think so. Although, I mean, I'd also see, I think, a, a bit of perplexity, right? He doesn't, he doesn't quite, you know, what, what's your deal? Why are you, why are you not defending yourself? Yeah, Beth. Um, what is the significance of the other head by the other oh I don't know it had uh, a pipe leaking and <laughs> yeah I'm not sure I'm not sure it does stand out now that you mention it yeah <laughs> yeah I think it's maybe a gargoyle or something I don't know. okay <laughs> like the devil or oh yeah maybe if you saw it better 
Carol, Carol uh, Holter, who has seen this painting in person, says that it's life-size. So you could... You have to go to Moscow and take a closer look. Yeah? Um, striking painting of Christ that I think I've ever seen. She says it's the most... Striking painting of Christ I think I have ever seen. You walk into the room, unless they move the... And you just see this thing, and I was just transfixed by this human being. You could see all the weight of the world on him, the, the misery, the pain, everything, but yet not broken, not strong. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's almost, un, he stands almost unrealistically straight, right? It's such a straight line, yeah. Yes, Emily. Eyes look to me like he's detached from that specific moment. Yeah, he's, he's, he's past it already, and he's thinking about much bigger things. Right, right. Which you can you can imagine Jesus knowing the scope, the massive scale of what's going on, right, and what's yet to come. He has yet to drink the cup of wrath, um, and Pilate's asking him these silly questions, like, "How can you?" It's like, it's like when, I mean, it's like when I'm concentrating on something and my kids are asking me if they can have another cookie. And I'm like, I'm, I'm focusing on what's going on here because this is much more important than having a cookie, all right? Yeah. Yeah, it kind of reminds me, like, or it kind of says, okay, he's just kind of, he's resigned to this and, and, and death is going to actually be better than going on like this. Sure. You know? Interesting. Kind of like when you have a stomach flu or something, you know, and you're like, oh. <laughs> I just want to die right now. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. That's interesting. And it, it, that would be, a, that's, <clears throat> it would be interesting to th- consider um, how Jesus felt about things. Because in the end, it wasn't, wasn't death that was the most painful thing for him, right? It was being forsaken by his father, yeah? Um, uh, and, and so, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, surely. Um, I think it's interesting that there's like a tree root. Yeah, what is that? Is that... It looks like a tree. Part of, it's part of his robe that's frayed, maybe? Yeah. And this is the purple cloak that they put on him? Yeah. Um, just glance real quick at the previous painting. Um, this is, would have been from chapter 14. Jesus before the Sanhedrin. I think that I think that the fellow is spitting in his face. This same, this is the same painter. Yeah. His name is Nikolai Gay, G E or G H E, depending on how you transliterate it. Yeah. When I went to uh, Amsterdam, there were I think paintings by Van Dyck, mm-hmm. and he was wow. So critical detail, head of Christ with blood and the crown, just today. Yeah. He was weeping, tears of blood. And that was also when he would stay years in get Peter. And they were fishermen, and I love the fishermen also. Pastoral, nice kind of years stark. Yeah. It's, it, it is a really helpful thing to see 
art that, that, that displays this because we can, become, I mean, we can become a little bit like Tolstoy in thinking, you know, just sort of having this abstract picture in our minds of what the crucifixion is. The blood of Jesus, we don't even, we stop thinking of it as real blood, blood that actually came out of his body, blood that came because he was stabbed with a spear and had a crown of thorns put on his head. This, this, uh, so I gave you at the very end of the packet here this interesting thing. I was just thinking about the different ways we think about the passion, Jesus' passion, because there's a lot, there's a, there are lots of different ways you can think about it. It's, you know, Jesus dying on the cross is important for us because it's an atoning sacrifice. Um, and understanding that is the key to understanding how God loves you. But then meditating on the passion and on the crucifixion can do a lot of different things. There are a lot of different ways that that can work. There have been times in the history of the church where meditating on the crucifixion was um, to prompt you to, to act out against the injustice. Ah, these people didn't do anything for Jesus. I'm going to do something for Jesus. Which is not a salutary way to think about the crucifixion. Um, but another way to think about it is no less invested in the, the gore of it, but focused on the reason why he's, the reasons why he's there. First, the reason that puts him there, the cause of his, his being on the cross, and then the purpose for him being on the cross. So the cause, what's the cause? Why is Jesus suffering? Why? Sin, right? Our, your sin, right? Your sin. Um, you can't, it's hard to, you, you get glimpses now and again in life of the, the weight of your sin, what it does, the damage it does in the world, but there's no clearer picture than seeing Jesus on the cross, right? But then the purpose of the crucifixion is another thing to, to consider, to meditate on. The purpose is God's display of love for you, right? And not just displaying, but delivering his love for you. So how much does he love you? So much that he's willing to do something that None of you would be willing to do, right? Give up your child um, on account of people, for the sake of people who hate you. Um, that's how much he loves you. Um, so that I was thinking then back to when Mel Gibson's film, The Passion of the Christ, came out. And I was remembering all of these. Um, I was in high school, and there, I, remember, I had a variety of friends who were really interested in seeing it. And by and large, it was my friends wanted to go in order to cry. They wanted to go and have this, experience this emotional um, sensation. And that's, that's, I'm not interested in saying whether that's good or bad, but it made me think about, because different emotions are useful in different ways. But I was thinking about the reception of it. How, what, you know, how did people think about this movie? And I looked up, I just searched quickly for a review, and here's the review from the New York Times. And it was so fascinating when I read it, um, because the, the author... The reviewer says so many true things, but finds all of the true things that he or she is saying to be unsatisfactory. So the, the, the reviewer gets the point, but does not like the point. So just, just listen to what, this is, what the reviewer says here. The passion of Christ is so relentlessly focused on the savagery of Jesus' final hours that this film seems to arise less from love than from wrath. Interesting, right? As, so focusing on the extent of the cruelty that Jesus suffered can't come from love. It only can come from uh, some sort of, you know, infatuation with wrath. And to succeed more in assaulting the spirit than in uplifting it. Fascinating too, right? Because the crucifixion is our only source of being uplifted, but it's only true 
It only uplifts you if you understand what it's for. This is why Paul says the message of the cross is foolishness. It's foolishness to those who are perishing because when you look at it, you don't see something uplifting. You see something that makes you feel miserable, and that's no good. Why would you expose yourself to that? That just feels like, as he calls it, sadomasochism, right? This is, I mean, why would you do that? Um, it's, it's just remarkable to hear him, him or her, I don't know who, whether it's a man or a woman reviewing it, say this, uh, this true thing. Mr. Gibson has constructed an unnerving and painful spectacle that is also, in the end, a depressing one. It is disheartening to see a film made with evident and abundant religious conviction that is at the same time so utterly lacking in grace. Um, but you can only say if you don't understand that the cross is the seat of grace. right? Then you get to the end. I love it. Um, take a look at the last two paragraphs. What makes the movie so grim and ugly is Mr. Gibson's inability to think beyond the conventional logic of movie narrative. And that's, again, here's so striking. The, the reviewer wants him to fit within the conventional logic of movie narrative where you don't end on a complete, depressing, utter tragedy, right? Um, in most movies, certainly in most movies directed or star, by or starring Mr. Gibson, violence against the innocent demands righteous vengeance in the third act, which is exactly what we feel, right? If you're looking at it properly, you feel that, an expectation that Mr. Gibson, in this case, whips up and leaves unsatisfied. <laughs> That's just great. Because, of course, Mr. Gibson's not doing that. He's not leaving that desire for righteous vengeance unsatisfied. That's the whole point, is that it's not satisfied. He suffers um, innocently, and there is, no, there is no vindication until he defeats death. There's no vindication over his enemies. There's no vindication over the people who've crucified him. There's vindication over death. On its own, apart from whatever beliefs a viewer might bring to it, the passion of the Christ never provides a clear sense of what all this bloodshed was for, which isn't true because, right, the film does end. You see the feet of Jesus, right, and um, you know that they're Jesus' feet. An inconclusiveness that is Mr. Gibson's most serious artistic fault. The Gospels, at least in some interpretations, suggest that the story ends in forgiveness, just, I mean, it's so startling as I think about it. I'm like, it's, it is ending. It, when you have the cross, you have forgiveness, right? There it is. There it is. I should write this guy a letter. But, but, an ending, but such an ending seems beyond Mr. Gibson's imaginative capacities. And then he, he had connected this to uh, an episode from The Simpsons about Mel Gibson, which tells you something also about the author, right? But um, uh, so there you go. I mean, so, so think about it. It's, it, provokes, it evokes this really um, strong reaction from me to read something like this because it's, so, it's like you're so near the kingdom and you're just, you, you can't make that move. And, but of course, that's not surprising because that move, understanding that the cross is the seat of love, it is forgiveness, understanding that doesn't come from human reason. You can't get there on your own. It's only the Holy Spirit who can make you um, believe give you eyes of faith to see in Jesus crucified God's, you know, boundless love for you. Um, so there you go. You can, so so what, I, what I want to give to you is a, is a sense of how you should consider the crucifixion. You shouldn't shy away from the gore, although there, it can become gratuitous, of course. It can become gratuitous. But um, the gore is necessary. This is one of the reasons why actually... Doing this now as we enter Advent is actually really helpful because if you go to Christmas without a view of the coming 
passion, you think about Jesus completely wrong. If you think that he came just to be born in a manger, just to be sweet and swaddled and um, coo and, you know, not a cry he made. How does this, how's it go in a way, way in the manger, right? Um, no crying he makes, yeah. Um, if you think that that's the, that's the whole of the story, you're going to be, you're going to miss the point. You miss the, you miss the point, right? And this is, again, why, um, so it feels, it feels gratuitous that we do this, but one of the first things we celebrate after Christmas is the massacre of the innocents in Bethlehem, right? The slaughter of the innocents, all of the baby boys under two years old who were murdered by Herod. Um, we celebrate that because this is why Jesus came, to deal with that, to deal with death. How does he deal with it? Not by, um, not by any of the means we would, we would expect. And in, and in the end, it looks like he's failed um, until, until the resurrection. And that's why you know, we, we, have to, we have to get to the end of the story. We have to get to Mark 16. What questions do you have right now? Uh, go ahead. Uh, let's talk about that painting. Yeah. The last, the last one. So I gave you these three because they're, both, they're all three from the, from the same artist. This one I understand less than the first two. Um, because, perhaps because Jesus is not nearly as affectless as he was in Pilate's chamber. Um, but here he is with the, with the two criminals. One of the reasons why these... Um, are helpful pictures to have in your mind. And here we're going to do this. Let me do this. Um, I'm going to read for you from Isaiah. Mark, is, Mark ties, ties everything back to this really, really clear prophecy that we have in Isaiah of what Jesus' death is going to be like. Um, we often, I mean, we can, it's easy to lose sight of how important prophecy was for the people of Israel and how important it was that Jesus fulfilled prophecy. But we get a glimpse of it, say, in Acts, when Philip the evangelist meets with the Ethiopian eunuch, and the Ethiopian eunuch is reading about the suffering servant in Isaiah, and he says, this, is the, this, is a really, this clearly is a big deal. This guy, who is, is, he, is, the, is Isaiah writing about himself or about somebody else? And then Philip you know, says, let me tell you about what happened recently. Um, and the reason why... Uh, the Ethiopian asks the question is because Isaiah is so strikingly clear. So just listen to this and you'll hear all of the things that happen um, in Mark um, and, in the, and in the Gospels. You'll hear them um, just played out, you know, 600 years, 700 years beforehand. Here's what he says. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. This is from the end of Isaiah 52. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings, sprinkling ties you to the image of the priest sprinkling the blood, right, on the holy things and on the people to purify them, to cleanse them so that they can enter into God's presence. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of, because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant. 
and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He's an atheistic Jesus, right? There's no divinity that's apparent there. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of the people? And they made his grave with the wicked. That's this painting right here. And with a rich man in his death. That's, that's Jared Joseph of Arimathea. And although he had done no violence, and there was, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. So, you, so I'm sorry to make these comments, but they're, they're so striking. It wasn't an accident of history. And it wasn't that Jesus um, designed things this way. He asked that the cup pass away, but this is something that the Father is doing to which Jesus is subjecting himself. The Father is doing it for you. He has put him to grief. When, he ma- when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. That's you. It's, just a great, it's such a great turn of phrase. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. That's Luke that's Luke's account. Father, forgive them, for I know not, for they know not what they do. It's so it's amazing to hear that right alongside the the passion, because there should have been no question about what was going on. Right? Isaiah said, "This is what's going to happen. <laughs> this is what's going to happen." And so, what you see in Jesus is not just um, somebody trying to bring meaning to life and suffering and death but something that God has been designing and, ca- and aiming to carry out from the beginning and making explicit, making clear, so that all of the people who follow God from the beginning trust, can trust that he's working this out. He's going to save them. Um, this makes sense of all of the Old Testament sacrifices, right? Why does God want the people to shed the blood of animals? It's because he attaches his promise to that. He says, he says look, do this which points ahead to Jesus, right? So when Jesus comes, you're going to understand what a sacrifice does, what blood does, right? What the sprinkling of blood does. 
You're going to understand that because I'm making a covenant with you now, he says to the people of Israel, and I'm attaching my promises to these things that I'm offering for you to do because they will make clear and deliver the forgiveness that Jesus is going to win for you on the cross. It's all uh, just one, uh, one beautiful story from beginning to end. Um, and that's one of the reasons why Mark is so, is so fun because he's, t- he, he's tying it all together for us. Um, when, you read Mark, when you read Mark 15, in fact, in the King James Version, you had a quotation from Isaiah. We don't have it in the ESV. It must be a little unclear what, how, you know, how far back it goes in the manuscripts. But um, all of these pieces are tied in. But now I'm just going on and on. What are your questions? Yes, Holly. This talks about consummation. Yeah. The grief resulting in offspring. Yeah. That's, that's like, one's on the cross. That's, that's when he bears the Yes. He gives, he gives himself fully, right? He gives himself fully. Yeah, that's great. Um, so it's a, mar- it's a marital image, right? Um, and that's why Ephesians 5 is so important for us as we understand ordinary marriage, not the marriage of Jesus to the church. Because the, what, what, what marriage does for us is gives us a picture of, uh, you know, a faulty, um, partial picture of what it's all about, right? So marriage points to Jesus. Marriage points to what Jesus is doing. And this is why Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church. Um, Because that fact that Jesus gives himself completely on the cross, gives himself completely to his people, to his beloved, um, is hard for us to picture. It's hard for us to understand. This is one of the reasons why marriage is such an important thing. Um, Because it it puts that picture in front of us all the time, right? But I think it's sometimes, uh, for me, amazing the painters that they know the Old Testament. Yeah, yeah. You know, in the, in the way that they are just displaying and that we can understand it. Yeah, yeah. Um, all the pictures, what you showed us, um, I think it's just amazing. Uh, I think we miss sometimes. We, I, I think so. I mean, I think we suffer from... Uh, some of the idiosyncrasies of history, right, that we spend far less time reading than previous, or, or telling stories than previous generations have. Not everybody, literacy is, a, is, a, is a, a new thing, relatively speaking, but people were telling stories, telling the stories all the time, right? And when you've got these stories in your arsenal, when, you've got, when you know the suffering servant, um, it lets you interpret your life, um, and it, it always keeps in view what, how, how God is acting in your life and the lives of people around you. It's, it's something we should always be striving to re, regain. Um, yeah, learn, learning and, and being able to tell the stories is really valuable, yeah. And I'm always amazed that the Jews don't understand. Yeah, although, I mean, I, I understand that amazement, but it's also not, it's not surprising, right? Because um, nobody can understand it. Nobody can understand. It's, only, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. Aaron. I was just struck when you're talking about that person who wrote the review, how it's like, there's the, another perfect example. I mean, yeah. we have modern technology that can create this image of Christ dying on the cross. And here's this person seeing it, this writer, mm-hmm. seeing it and describing it really well and getting all these parts of it and then just totally missing the whole point. Right. You know, and it's like, well, well I mean, it's just kind of it is, it's, yeah. You know, Pharisees who are there and seeing, and, you know, I guess the 
they saw it. They were there. They witnessed it. Yeah. It just goes to show, I mean, the answer to one of the things that we often say is, oh, I wish, you know, if only things could be clearer to me. Like if I could have been, you know, if I could see things for myself, I would understand, right? Nope. As, as uh, Abraham says to the rich man, even if the dead were raised, they would not believe, right? Even if, so the rich man says to Abraham, send back, um, from, send, send Lazarus back from the dead to tell my brothers that um, they need to repent. And, and Abraham says, no, no. Uh, that's not going to do it for them. That's not, signs, signs and wonders uh, are, are not convincing. That actually, rem- I'm, in, in the catechumenate, um, we've been talking about baptism, and um, there's a story by the author Graham Greene. He's a British author. Um, there's a short story that he's written called The Second Death, which is it's a very striking story. Um, I don't want to spoil it for you. You should read it. Um, I'm trying, I don't want to just tell you the story because actually reading it the first time is actually really valuable. But I'll tell you what it does, and here's why you should read it. Because it gives you a picture of um, how even a miracle, even somebody being raised from the dead, um, is, not, is, not con- is not convincing because if, if you apply it to your reason. If you, use, if you try to use your reason, your own sense about things, to understand the world... Even somebody rising from the dead is not enough. This is, so the reason, one of the reasons to say that, so look it up, Graham Greene, The Second Death. If you want a copy, I can email you a link, okay? It's a short, it's a short story. I recommend it highly. Um, but the reason, to, the reason to keep that in view is uh, because it sheds some light, gives you some perspective on where you are, right? So think about it. No, nothing could have convinced you no experience could have convinced you that Jesus loves you and that the Father loves you to this degree. Nothing could have convinced you to see the crucifixion and see something beautiful in it. No reason could have done that. You've been given a gift. Just, out, just unmerited, unwarranted, a gift that not everybody gets. And um, that's something to hold dear, to really uh, be grateful for and, and treasure and protect, guard and protect that because... Um, and it's priceless, right? You, can't, you, couldn't, you couldn't come to this place of, of seeing the crucifixion as something beautiful. You couldn't come to that on your own. Aaron. Well, I was thinking about how you said, you know, when you're reading the story and you're, um, you're reading the card and Mark and you're thinking, oh, there was a way out. You know, like, this could have happened instead. And there's kind of a couple of points where you, like, you see people's failures. Like, people could have chosen Jesus. Pilate could have chosen That's a good. That's a, a great observation to make. One one way to one one salve for that um, trouble uh, uh, that that way of thinking about things is to 
just imagine all of the ways it could have gone wrong if you had had your way, right? Just, ima just imagine. <laughs> if I had my way, you know, I would be really satisfied because I had my way, you know? But um, God, God has brought you to the place that you are. God has brought you here. Um, there's, no, there's, no, there's no accident about it. And that's, I mean, the most comforting thing, um, especially when you uh, you can't see your way out of it, right? To know that God has brought you here. Yeah, Donna? The second death, yeah. Graham Greene. You have to look up a volume of his collected short stories. Yeah. Okay. Um, come back next week. I think um, we'll, see, we, we'll see if Pastor Nelson wants to spend a little bit more time. We didn't, uh, we didn't look at any artwork of the crucifixion even. We, so... We're just talking about the passion generally, so I can say that we didn't touch it yet. But we'll see what he does. If, would you, what, tell me just uh, how would you feel about listening to the whole thing through from beginning to end? Is that something you would come back for or not? You would come back for that? Okay. All right. We'll, con we'll consider doing that. All right. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. you bet. Thank you.